Welcome to the IoT Security Podcast, powered by Phosphorus Cybersecurity, your source for securing the extended Internet of Things. Join the conversation with your hosts, Brian Contos and John Vecchi. Well, hello, everybody. You're listening to the IoT Security Podcast live on Phosphorus Radio, and I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos, and we've got the one and only world traveler, biohacker, Len No in the house today. Welcome to the Finally. show, Len. What's up, guys? <laughs> every, every, every time we try to do a podcast with Len, he's in the middle of a flight, on a train, in a submarine. It's so hard to, 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 to get him locked down, but we're so happy to have you here. I really appreciate you guys having me. And uh, sorry about the, uh, the, the delays in getting here, but happily here now. Awesome. So, Len, you know, before we kick off, maybe you could give folks a little bit of background about you, how you came up in the space and, you know, what, what exactly it is that you do now in cyber. I didn't take the education college road. Um, mm -hmm. I've always heard the expression, there's two ways to get into cyber and one is either education or one is, we'll just say practical experience. I was a, a black hat slash gray hat for the better part of my life, uh, started having grandchildren and went, eh, you got a choice. Either they're <laughs> going to see you behind glass or you need to make some changes. And unfortunately for me, the only thing I've really ever been good at is fighting and breaking into computers. And the problem is, is I continuously get older. And as a result, the fighting thing really doesn't work. So uh, I really only had the option of doing computers. So. I decided to actually take my unique perspective on security and start working for the good guys. Mm. And it's been a, a really amazing change. I like the idea of not being gifted with, you know, state funded vacations. <laughs> awesome. Well, you know, you're uh, such a prolific speaker and, uh, you're, you know, you travel all around the world and I, I know you speak on many, many topics, but one of them is, is biohacking and you just don't speak it, you, you live it. And maybe you could talk a little bit about how that happened and, and how you turned yourself into an IOT device. <laughs> well, the truth is I've been getting tattoos and body piercing since I was about 15 years old. Okay. You know, I started young. I, I mm -hmm. like to consider myself a modern primitive. <laughs> I was actually very, what's the right word, cognizant of the the transhuman and the H plus communities, but I never really got into doing things like the Firefly or a lot of the, the homemade kind of grinder implants. Mm -hmm. I have five daughters six grandkids so the idea of playing around and mixing up some two-part epoxy in my garage and and shoving stuff in my body yeah. I, I i'm not 25 anymore so honestly once i saw that there was actual commercial grade implants that you could actually purchase mm -hmm. then it, that opened up the space for me to actually start going down that road for me it was actually just the net the natural progression of being um a modern primitive so, I discovered a company called Dangerous Things. They're based out of Seattle, Washington. They are the largest consumer-grade implant manufacturer in North America. 
Uh, there's a companion company called KSEC based out of the UK, and these are the two largest commercial grade manufacturers there are. So I started with simple bioglass implants. I got a combination RFID NFC chip as well as a cryptobionic chip, which actually has a companion app on my cell phone, can be used for multi-factor authentication, things of that nature. From there, it just started to just grow. You know, due to the variances in different types of contactless technologies, I saw more and more options to basically embed these technologies and turn myself into a walking attack vector. So mm. from there, I switched from the bioglass into the flexible uh, membrane, which the bioglass, any, they, they literally look like just a large, long piece of rice, like a grain mm. of rice. The problem with those are, is they don't always stay where you put them. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, one of them, when I originally had it done, I, I put it in the, the webbing right up here between my pinky and my ring finger, and it's now down here towards my wrist. Oh, wow. Yeah, the, the flexible membrane actually stay in place. Uh, currently, I have 10 different implants. I have everything from biosensing magnets in my hands that actually allow me to feel electromagnetic fields and currents. Uh, I had a, a credit card. Up, in the, up until about a month ago, at which point the credit card processor terminated his contract with, uh, with a wallet more. So now I have an implant in my hand that does absolutely nothing. Mm. But for a while there, I was actually able to tap to pay with my hand. Mm. Uh, I, I have an 8K uh, NFC. I have E3, E1000 RFIDs. Uh, but honestly, I think my favorite chip right now is actually the VivoKey Apex, which is the newer version of that CryptoBionic. This will allow me to do OTP, SHA-1 hash generation. It's got uh, the ability to tie into uh, crypto wallets for multi-factor authentication. Oh, and nice. if you uh, actually own a Tesla, you can actually even put your valet, car, uh, Bob, on your implant and just get in your car and drive. Oh, that's really convenient. That's super nice. Wow. Now, now when you do the membrane ones, do those actually stitch in or are they like the glass? They're just uh, surgically implanted or injected. Uh, they are all now I've done both. I've done the surgical okay. implants, the large uh, one that you see here in the front of my, on the, my hand, this is actually larger yep. than a, than a half dollar. Okay. This, mm. It was, scalpels dermal elevators the whole nine yards yeah the way that they're doing most implants now is more of an injection style but they have created a, a very special needle uh it's about the size and diameter of a pen you know like a typical pen that you would write with but when it goes through the skin it actually pours out that part of the body and actually leaves a pocket that the implant can then be slipped into mm. Typically, there's no need for stitches or anything like that. But nice. When I first got into it, these types of implants were or installations were not possible. So it was all stitches, scalpels, and sutures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the the scary wow. part is, that I did them all completely anesthetic free. Oh wow! You can't, This is not something that I've, I I haven't seen a single doctor in regards to implementation of any of these chips. 
Hmm. Yep. Who does it then? Maybe, I, and I'm guessing I was going to ask you, did you have any issues with those in the medical profession oh, yeah. saying they don't want to do I imagine yeah. that was the case, which is, could be why you've got, you're using uh, alternative resources for that. Yeah, actually, uh, shout out to uh, Pineapple over at Shaman Body Modification in Austin, Texas. Uh, but no, I use, I go to a body modification parlor. So the same people that would put like gauges in your ears or split mm -hmm. your tongue or something of the, like that. Mm -hmm. This is the guy that does all of my, my installs. You know, it's wow. kind of weird. You know, we talk about installs is mm -hmm. how we refer to it in the, in the grinder community. It's like, yeah, you go to get an upgrade. Yeah. I'm going to get an upgrade. <laughs> so I guess I, I, I'm Len three, Len 10.0 at this point. <laughs> Now I've heard about some of these implants and I don't, I don't think it was any of the ones that you've mentioned, but there was one that I read about that is, uh, like screwed into your femur and some people it was getting really hot and it was causing problems and they had to have emergency surgery to remove mm -hmm. it. Is that like back in the old 1.0 days of this stuff? Or, oh, yeah. if you think that was bad, look up the Firefly implant. This one actually use, uses radioactive material. Oh. And actually will glow through your skin almost like Iron Man. And this was a big wow. thing in, in the community back in the day. My current project I'm actually working on is, is I'm actually taking a Raspberry Pi Zero W and it's, I'm actually implanting it in my actual leg with an external power receipt, uh, wireless power transmitter battery that goes into the pocket and then a wireless power receiver on the, the Pi itself. And there's no battery on it. It's just direct powering. And that's how we've managed to get around the heat problem. But this will actually allow me to walk around with a full version of Linux in my body that I can actually connect to and set up auto pones, low energy Bluetooth sweeps, and basically configure it through my cell phone and then put my cell phone away. That's awesome. Now, can you walk yeah. through a airport... Uh security checkpoint without setting off alarms or every day i do it multiple times a month yeah yeah and wow. but here's where the thing that most people don't get even if i was detected there are things like hipaa and health and privacy laws in europe that actually prevent anyone from even asking me about it because mm. they're technically part of my medical history at this point mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i'm even utilizing the laws to help protect my ability to obfuscate these types of technologies. Mm -hmm. Wow. Is there a strategy to where you have these devices implanted? I'm imagining a lot of them are probably more on your arms. I, you mentioned the Raspberry Pi, which is fascinating, kind of more on your leg. Is that where they're kind of concentrated? And, and is there an advantage one way or the other on where? Well, it, there is advantages and disadvantages and placement is extremely critical. Like mm -hmm. the large RFID NFC that I have in the top of my right hand is put there because most of that is actually an antenna. And that one was put in specifically so that if you have NFC turned on on your mobile device and I can convince you to put your device in my hand, that's all I need. At that point, the fact that most of this large one here is actually coiled copper wiring Mm -hmm. This is actually strong enough to read through the blade of the hand. And if I'm holding your device in a natural orientation and you have NFC turned on, it will actually energize the chip and it will respond. Mm. 
So one of the big things that I, examples that I give is, is let's say I'm doing, let's say we were all in the same room together and this wasn't, you know, a virtual conversation. I don't know where you guys are, but if I was to say, hey, something just happened. I was on the phone with my wife. Something happened to one of my grandchildren and my phone died. Can I borrow somebody's phone real quick? Somebody would give me their phone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and if that technology being NFC is enabled, that's all it takes. I can redirect you to a website that is infected with beef, you know, the browser exploit extension framework. If it's an Android phone, I can download an APK and, you know, realistically, while I'm sitting there going, what's my wife's phone number? Real, you know, who, who remembers phone numbers? We just put them into our contacts. I can social engineer a situation and I've timed this. It takes about 20 seconds for wow. me to download the APK, install it, the icon is hidden. And finally, I just act frustrated and say, I don't remember her name. I'm just going to plug my phone in, but thanks anyway. I'm already in your, your system before I even hand your device back to you. Wow. Wow. I, I think Crazy. one of the more scary options is the physical access. Mm -hmm. I have the ability to work with almost 127 different physical access protocols from Pyramid, Diamond, Indala, HID, 1, 2, and 3, Prox. So if I can scrape the data off of your card, mm. I can write it down to one of the chips in my hands. And to answer, John, to answer your earlier question, right now, all of the implants are actually between my elbows and my fingertips mm. Mm -hmm. in both my left and my right arms. Interesting. Now, one of the things that we deal with at Phosphorus for enterprise XIoT and kind of embedded firmware from a wireless access point to a security camera to PLCs on the industrial control system side is Hello? after discovery, it's managing the credentials, updating the firmware, hardening the devices by turning off unneeded ports, protocols, that sort of thing. Um, do you go through a similar process with these devices? Do you do you secure them? Do you modify oh, yeah. them to shut off Telnet that's running in your your <laughs> arm? And unfortunately, uh, you know, yeah, it's it, they're not that they're not that intelligent yet. Okay. Mm -hmm. All of, essentially everything that's in my body right now, with the exception of the magnet, is uh, the same thing that would be on one of your badges. You know, so all of the tags are in a inert state until they come into contact with a reader's energy field. Got it. Mm -hmm. So you know that's why I was saying a minute ago. You know, let's move on to what I consider to be one of the more dangerous aspects of having a transhuman in your employ. You know, this is the, the scenario. Uh, Brian, let's say I scrape your bat. Mm -hmm. I write it down to one of my implants. I go into your office and I wind up in your, your data center. Mm -hmm. Let's, you know, be very honest about what the order of events that would probably take place afterwards would be. Let's be honest. Operational security would probably come in. They would grab me. They would stick me in a room. What were you doing in there? Mm -hmm. How did you get in there? Well, I was walking through the building. I saw this door open and there were all these racks of computers like I see on TV all the time. I thought it was cool. I just wanted to go and take a look. Well, you're not supposed to be in there. How did you get in there? The door was open. We're calling the police. The police will come. They will search me. They will not find a Proxmark. They won't find a clone card. They won't find any type of tools. The worst they're going to be able to do is trespass me off of that property. Mm -hmm. I will not get arrested and I'll be able to walk away free. Now, the problem is, is with all the other potential things that I may have already done while I was in there. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, if I had a, maybe I had a, a, 
USB rubber ducky or a bash bunny or a WHID cactus. You know, you were talking about, you know, IoT. If there's any type of IoT receivers and sensors in there, I can physically interact with those sensors, especially around mm -hmm. assembly lines and manufacturing process. Mm -hmm. So the one thing I will say right here, because we're talking a lot about what are the bad things that a transhuman could potentially do. This does not mean that all transhumans are this way. Mm -hmm. You know, and unfortunately, we do get kind of stung with a very bad stigma. And as a result of that, people look at us with what I would consider to be an unrealistic fear. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had friends of mine that will literally take the batteries out of their cell phones when I show up at their house. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I, I swear to God, I think they're expecting my, you know, my face to slide off and I'm going to have like a Terminator <laughs> face underneath me. You That's know? right. <laughs> yeah. That's but crazy. I don't see this any different than anything else because if we look at it from that thousand foot view, yeah. it's only the elective processes that get this kind of scrutiny. Like if you were a type one diabetic and you were using an insulin pump, you're a transhuman. You are using technology to enhance the human condition. Mm -hmm. People with a pacemaker would be considered transhuman. People who are using STEM pain management systems. But the only people that seem to get this kind of scrutiny and wind up being told that you may have the mark of the beast or you're some kind of, you know, individual to be feared just because I exist, I think a lot of that, those types of people need to understand that this is the technology moving forward. And the only difference is, is the, the perception in which you're looking at. Mm -hmm. As long as you're addressing a deficiency of the human body, nobody seems to care. But when you want to enhance the human condition, people think that you're some kind of a, a freak and react accordingly. Yeah. Well, you know, building on that, where do you see this evolving? And let's not think too far in the future, but maybe over like the next five, 10 years, do you think transhumans will be able to have a device implanted that allows them to maybe communicate with other transhumans or improves sight, improves hearing, you know, think things of this mm -hmm. nature? Well, when it comes down to it, we've actually, oh God, I'm drawing a mind blank on his name, but there's actually, he was the very first registered transhuman he he was blind oh god he's an artist uh, i want to say he's like german or swiss but he actually has this strange kind of look antenna thing that's coming out of the back of his skull that mm -hmm. is actually interpreting the world digitally and then through electrodes in his brain he's actually able to have a somewhat skewed version of sight mm -hmm. interesting if you take a look at BCIs in general, places like BlackRock Neuroscience, you have Synchron, Tesla's Neuralink. So I think that we're going to see a lot. And one of the big things that I think is going to be driving this personally is the fact that we've seen so many breakthroughs around graphene battery technology. Mm -hmm. Currently, when it comes to commercial grade implants, even the, the Raspberry Pi that I'm putting in my leg which is called a peg leg, none of these are internally powered. There is not a single device that you can buy commercially that you can put in your body that has any internal power. Mm -hmm. So this has been one of the main sticking points when it comes to embedded systems. This is why we're still dealing with 
technology that we're actually getting the power from the electromagnetic fields of the receivers as opposed to the devices themselves. Mm. So due to the fact that we're seeing a lot of breakthroughs in the graphene technology, costs are now starting to be coming down a little bit. When we can get the ability to power an embedded device for, I'm even going to say two to three years, mm -hmm. you know, I think we're going to start seeing more actual systems as opposed to tech. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that how you were talking about really you're going to, you know, alternative piercing studios, th things like that. Do you see that because it hasn't quite moved over to the medical side, aside from, you know, medical instances like heart, you yeah. know, pacemakers and different things very specifically, do you see that when it crosses over to the medical side, as far as other enhancements to the human body, will that change it? Do you think, will that change the perception? Will it change the, the, kind of frequency and commonplace of this or, or not? I think it has to. And, and to be honest mm -hmm. with both of you, I really thought that the wallet more implant would be the chip that kind of starts pushing transhumanism into the mainstream mm -hmm. because it was a credit card, you know, and mm -hmm. you know, I, I won't lie. The first time I ever used it, I was actually in a Avis rent a car in Detroit, Michigan waiting in line and I walked up to the machine, just tapped the machine with my hand, selected a, a beverage and this woman came up right behind me and just started slapping the machine because it wouldn't give her a drink. So I, I've, I've been told that I have the mark of the beast. I've been told that, <laughs> you know, people are afraid that when I walk into a room, I'm going to hack their computers, you know, and I have to go back to what I, I recently said, you know, it, Nobody seems to have an issue if somebody who's a diabetic walks into a room with a, with an insulin pump. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think a lot of this comes from cultural stigmas. I think it is the fear of the unknown. I mean, I, I if I had a dime for every time somebody said, you're my first cyborg that I've ever met, I, I, I wouldn't have to work anymore. You mm -hmm. know, but the, the truth is there are more of us out there than people want to believe. Uh, like I said, the two main distributors are Dangerous Things and KSEC. And between the two of these guys, you know, there's been, you know, hundreds of thousands of these things that have been sold commercially. Now, that's not to say that they've all wound up in a human being. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if we just look at the concept that they were purchased, I'd say you can probably still suggest over 80% of those have wound up inside of a person. Mm -hmm. So... There is a transhuman movement that's already here. Most people just don't talk about it because of the negative attention that it can bring. Yeah, just that stigma, right? The, the, the kind of immediate reaction uh, that, that oh, yeah. kind of come from it. Can, yeah. like, who, who, who is the cohort who, that you would say kind of represents the bulk of, of transhumanism? I mean... Th you know, who are all of these? Are they a lot like you? I mean, I'm sure there's Most a, a, a people big honestly mixture. are just everyday Joe average people. Mm -hmm. People yeah. that want, maybe they have uh, a shared garage. They're in an apartment complex. You know, mm -hmm. I, I've even gone so far as to, you know, at one point I put my badge to get into the, the CyberArk office uh, on an implant just so I didn't have to worry about remembering it when I, when I went to Boston. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so most of the usage of these are exactly what they are supposed to be for. It's it's mm-hmm. a fob replacement. It's a key card replacement. Mm-hmm. There, it's a the ability to get into your Tesla and drive it. It's getting secure, true multi-factor OTP codes by scanning an implant as a physical proof of not you know not only is it something you have and something you know. It's something you have that's inside your body and something you know. So it adds an additional secure factor. And, and I, I just feel that this is so much the tip of the iceberg. You're, you're, you know, you're like an explorer. You're like Magellan. You're the sort of the, the, the early, early group of people going after with after these types of things. But if I play it out in my head, I'm thinking, look, if we're going to achieve something like, you know, deep space travel, our, our bodies stuff starts to break down and you need mm-hmm. to start replacing parts. So if you're going to live for a couple hundred years, uh, you're going to have to have some type of cyborg, cybernetic type replacements in your body that that follow this. The other area that I think is really interesting is people's ability to collaborate with other with, without having a phone with, you know, maybe I'm just sitting in a classroom and I'm able to collaborate with other people mentally or do a Google search or something like that. And I don't have to I don't have to access any anything with my my fingertips, right? It's just all done yeah. mentally somehow. And that that to me is really fascinating. Probably a nightmare for teachers when kids are taking tests. We'll have to adapt, just like with Chat GPT, we have to adapt. But to me, that that's that's almost like an evolutionary characteristic when we're able to start having these hive mind type of uh type of conversations, if you will. I've actually given that a lot of thought. Are, is transhumanism the next step in human evolution? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe. I mean, we, one of the things that I, I bring up in regards to the transhumanism discussion that I think very much applies to just cyber in general is, you know, how do you validate the identity of a human being anymore? Especially when we look at deep fakes, we look mm-hmm. at... AI chat models and chatbots that can figure out your speech patterns and how you talk. Is the idea of something like the VivoKey Apex going to be, is this one of the options for a validator to a human's individual identity? Because realistically, biometrics, as much as they're great, there's not a single biometric out there that hasn't been bypassed, counterfeited, or spoofed. Mm-hmm. So the technologies around biometrics are not 100%. But then again, nothing else is. But we're we now we're in a stage where I can right now we're we're over a a video chat. There there is no SSL lock on my window that says this is a secured session and you are really talking to the real Len no. Mm-hmm. And I think that the ability for transhumanism as well as the ability to embed systems might be one of the things that we can use in the future to, as that individual validator. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, look, at, we call them cyber physical systems now. And I mean, boy, you embody literally what that is. And again, you're talking about the, the physical side to all of this. I mean, these systems, it's kind of so different. I mean, the idea of securing them as well, and it's different than securing information data and information right you're we're securing a thing that actually is interacting physically 
with something. Uh, and in your case, with you, literally with your body, it's very different than other kind of what we think of as IT systems and well, IT security and data, right? It's it's so different. And it's it's kind of like you're literally a walking cyber physical system. And like you said, you're also a walking attack surface. I'm wondering, do you leverage it from a research perspective? I mean, are you a walking honeypot? I mean, are you getting attacked? Sometimes. <laughs> uh, sometimes. I mean, back to your, your question earlier about, you know, do I have to do upgrades on my firmware and things like that? No. Mm -hmm. Like I said, these tags are basically inert until they wind up being, you know, energized by the field of the reader. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that somebody can't maliciously attack me. Yeah. So I actually have fair. I went out and bought a set of them. I know this is corny, but I bought like some leather racing gauntlets, you know, like driving gloves. Mm -hmm. And I actually bought Faraday fabric and actually paid a seamstress to disassemble the gloves and line them with all the Faraday fabric. So that way I can go to places like DEF CON or JITEX. Mm -hmm or black hat and not have yeah. to worry about somebody closing out the tags that are in my hands because I'm well known that I have them. Yeah. Yeah. So I do have to consider the fact it, it, the, the tags are almost like the old CDRWs. They're rewritable, but they can be closed and written mm -hmm. permanent. So for me to be able to protect myself, I had to put a barrier between myself and the outside world, just as if I was an enterprise. The only difference, my firewall is Faraday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just going to say, how long until people have so many devices or they're so advanced that there's going to have to be some type of internal firewall or monitoring capability to alert you when someone's trying to access your system? To be honest, I, I, I thought of this and I'm wondering if there, the concept of Faraday clothing, you know, now, Brian, John, if you guys decide to start up, you know, phosphorus, you know, techware. <laughs> and, and you're selling hoodies yep. and, and underwear and pants and socks. All I want is, you know, there needs to be the Len line somewhere since I gave you the idea. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like Michael Jordan and the, the, the Air Jordans. It's, uh, exactly. <laughs> it's the Len Faraday line. So uh, Yes, it's, it's the Len Faraday line of clothing. <laughs> but, I mean, if you think about it, that's kind of where we're going in general. I yep. mean, even with non-embedded systems, you know, more and more stuff out there is trying to get into our, our devices, our systems, our data, and our lives. Yeah. So the idea that, you know, I mean, how many times have you seen Faraday pouches for credit cards to sure. shut off OMC capabilities mm -hmm. or passports? This is, I'm not doing anything that hasn't been done. I'm just doing it with myself as the origination point, as opposed to something outside of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Now this is, this was fascinating, Len. I mean, we could, we could talk about this for, for hours, especially exploring the futuristic side of things, philosophical issues, et cetera. Um, well, but I'm working on a, I'm working on a panel and if you guys are interested, I'll let you know, uh, I've got all the pieces in place right now, mm -hmm. but I have a philosopher. I have a doctor. I have a rabbi, I have a rig religious theologist, and I have myself as a transhuman, and we are actually going to be doing a, a conversation, and the, t the panel is just called The Human, and where do we see it going over the course of the next 50 to 100 years from a cultural perspective, a moral perspective, a mm -hmm. technological perspective, and an ethical perspective? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, those are all things everyone's thinking about. That 
I mean, you're right on the forefront uh, of them. I mean, there are so many conversations about this happening in different ways and in different places. And uh, you are definitely a pioneer on this side. That let us know that would and for our listeners as well. They, I can imagine everyone listening right now would hundred percent would love to to attend that or listen to that panel. Because and, I guess the one question that you guys hadn't asked, and, and I'm going to ask this is this might be a little bit unusual for you guys. The guest mm-hmm. is going to put you guys on the spot. Sure. Yeah. Let me ask you, and this is, I'll, I'll give you my answer when I'm done when, or when you guys are finished, but how far is too far? Yeah. At what point are you no longer a human? Mm-hmm. And because the, the, these are the questions that I get all the time, but I, I, when I have these opportunities, I'm in it. Mm-hmm. I'd rather ask you guys, at what point is it? a bridge too far and we are, we've lost our humanity and we're something else. I'm not saying that isn't the next step on the evolutionary chain, but at what point do you stop being human and become something more? Yeah. Yeah. Becomes very black mirror, right? Because what if I was able to upload my consciousness to some supercomputer or maybe in my case, a a pretty low end computer. Yeah. You know, am I still, Am I still human? Do I, you know, do I still exist in a theological perspective? Do I still have a soul at that point? Yeah, I think, I think the line continues to be moved. And I think that's kind of part of the human existence, right? Is, is what defines us. But that's, that's my two cents. John, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think very similarly. And I think it's, it's interesting. You've got a theologist on your panel because in some cases one might say, well, I guess it might be too far when we don't uh, have free will any longer. And you know, someone might be um, controlling it for us. And, you know, free will is kind of the essence of our ability to kind of live and exist and make decisions. And if that perhaps gets compromised, as Brian said, where someone else is controlling it, maybe that's too far. It's, it's interesting because there's definitely kind of social, theological, as well as the technological uh, angles to this and moral side and even the medical side, like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, cause it's so contrasting. I mean, these things can go so far to help someone medically or help you do something. On the other hand, what happens, like you said, if it goes so far, you don't have control anymore. Right. No, I think those are great answers, John. I loved your answer. Absolutely loved it. Free will. That's the first time somebody's thrown that one out there, you mm-hmm. know, but I think that's a very good answer. You know, I don't personally think it, it ever changed. I mm-hmm. still think I'm a human. I just think I'm an, a human with some different capabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't see myself honestly much different than somebody that can play the piano or maybe they're a, a masonry worker. The only difference is I didn't have to go to school to get these capabilities. I had to go to a body modification. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, yeah, maybe, at the end of the day, it's it, oh, one it, last thing, one last yeah. thing. What are, what are, and I know we're coming right out of science fiction here, but I mean, if you just think about the concepts of the BCIs and the the brain computer interfaces, and you remember Mm -hmm. that scene from the matrix where Neo sits up and he goes, I know Kung Fu. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's to stop that from happening? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. We don't need school anymore. To be a mm-hmm. truly evolved species, we would just learn while we sleep, right? It's like, exactly. oh, I, I w- woke mm-hmm. up, I speak French, and I can fly a helicopter now. Exactly. <laughs> so, well, no, I don't that, know where amazing. it's going to end up, but I will say this, you know, you can't unring the bell. 
transhumans were here and we are mm -hmm. here in large numbers. Mm -hmm. The only difference is most of them are not going to tell you about their implants. Me, I am who I am and, and I have no problem telling everybody, yeah, I am multiple implanted and I'm going to probably be much more before I'm dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't see myself stopping and as the technology, right now I feel like I've got like 386s in my hands and I'm just waiting for that Pentium to get there so I can, you know, start doing more. But once we actually have the ability to have those embedded systems, every rule that we know for cyber goes right out the window. Kind of the same with quantum computing. Yeah. It, once I can actually walk into a location with an embedded system that's running an offensive OS against the, the wishes of the host, plus with all, the, like I said, with all the current health and privacy laws, it's not like you can stop it. Mm -hmm. And what yeah. makes it even more dangerous is there's no way to detect it because you would need multiple spectrum analyzers running on multiple frequencies and you would need ports open to listen to every single wireless protocol to be able to detect. But I will leave you with this one last interesting thing. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this yet, but everybody's familiar with drug smelling canines, right? Mm -hmm. Did you know that they have a new type of canine in service for the police departments in the United States that is a technology smelling dog? Interesting. These dogs are not used like the drug dogs in terms of they're not going to bring the dog up to you and sniff you and it'll go, oh, you have, you have a cell phone, you have this. These are based, used more in human trafficking, pedophilia, and those types of cases where after somebody gets arrested and they get a search warrant for their house, the dogs will go search for external hard drives, thumb drives, and things like that. Dallas police actually have gotten one of these dogs. Mm. I live in Texas, so I've been talking to the Dallas Police Department in regards to whether or not this dog might be able to smell the microchips that are inside my body. Mm -hmm. The dogs have been trained to hit on a specific chemical compound called triphenylphosphine oxide, which is one of the major chemicals used in circuit board creation. So I will be making a trip up to Dallas when we can actually get everybody's schedules corrected. And I'm going to be meeting with Remy, the technology dog, and we're going to actually see if it can smell the technology under the skin. And if you think about the Terminator movies, wherever the rebels were, what yeah. did they always have at the entrances? Yeah, guard dogs. dogs. Because yeah. they mm -hmm. smell the technology. So we're going to find out if the Terminator was actually life imitating art or art imitating life. Right. Oh, I love it. I love it. Wow. That's going to be really interesting to find out. You know, it's, it's some, there's some part of this that's very scary, but only because it's the future and there's nothing scarier than that. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's great. So, Len, as we uh, get ready to sign off here, if uh, some of the folks listening just want to learn more about, you know, transhumanism and they want to learn more about some of these implants or maybe they'd like to, you know, try them out. Wh where, where can they go to get more details? Well, uh, the best place that I could honestly give you if you want to find out more is the forums on dangerousthings.com. It is it. probably one of the best resources and the biggest communities around. Uh, we ha There are posts if you want to purchase and you need to find an installer. There are different places all over the world. Uh, mm -hmm. Pretty much everybody there, myself included, we are all very, very open with information and we want people to ha have a better understanding and not 
fear us. And I think that by me doing these types of conversations, I'm going to scare the hell out of a lot of people. But at the same time, maybe I'll alleviate some of the fears in some of the others. Mm -hmm. Because we're no different. We just have the ability to interact with computers. But if you're doing what you should do in regards to your own personal security, we shouldn't make a difference anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. But uh, if you're in Europe, ksec.com, anywhere in North South America, Canada, dangerousthings.com. Perfect. Well, listeners, you heard it there. Len, this was just so fascinating. We, we will, would love to kind of follow your journey and, and have you back. I would love to be come back, man. It was great to talk. As, as you know, you expand this and yeah, as you learn more, but what, a, what an incredibly fascinating uh, discussion, right, Brian? I mean, wow. Absolutely. Awesome. I really appreciate the opportunity, guys. Absolutely. It would be my pleasure to come back. I'm always working on new things. If I could throw a quick shout out for this, my latest research, if you don't mind. Yes, absolutely. Please. Yeah. Uh, I just got done doing some research. I call it synthetic identity, which is not mm -hmm. everybody's standard definition that you we've been hearing forever. I doxed myself using people searches, you know, online services. I used uh, three different OSINT tools, took mm. that complete data set and put it into chat GPT. And it was actually able to interact with my digital persona based on the artifacts that I left behind through normal usage. And as wow. such, I was actually able to fish every self-service portal recovery question answer out of that data set. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. That is so cool. Really interesting. Yeah. Well, I'll check that out for sure. Wow. What a discussion. Uh, thanks so much, Len No, for joining us today. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian, my co-host. And remember, everybody, the IoT Security Podcast is brought to you by Phosphorus, the leading provider of proactive full-scope security management and breach prevention for the extended Internet of Things. And until we meet again, I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos. We'll see you next time on Phosphorus Radio. Thanks for listening to this episode of the IoT Security Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe so you can join us again. While you're at it, leave a review. Find out more about IoT security and the podcast at phosphorus.io. See you next time on the IoT Security Podcast. <laughs>